Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessing of this Lord's Day, and we thank You for this class that we can come together and study Your Word together. We pray that You would bless our time in the Proverbs as You have so also today. We pray that You would guide us and direct us by Your Holy Spirit. Let us see the truth of Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said before, but you didn't hear me, or actually you probably did and just didn't laugh, I said our new topic today is on lying in the truth, which I think most of you will struggle with. They didn't laugh the second time either, so um, yeah, laughing inside, actually riddled with guilt. All right, well, maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe everybody got quiet and they thought, oh, he knows me better than I thought. Yeah. All right, well, let's start uh, today with, uh, uh, of course, looking at and understanding the terms, but I'm starting with one of the Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 23, at least the first half of it, uh, in which the sage tells us to buy truth and do not sell it, uh, which implies what about the truth? The, the, the metaphor of, of buying uh, the truth implies what? It, it's valuable. Uh, it, it may be acquired. Uh, what else could we uh, say that this metaphor implies? Desirable. It's desirable. It's valuable. It can be acquired. It's desirable. It's, it's something that, that we should want and so should seek after. Right, And so, so all of this we can deduct from uh, the, the metaphor of, of buying. Uh, but let, let's just back up a little bit more and let's ask the question, <clears throat> what is truth? What is truth? I know you Bible students, immediately your mind has gone to Pilate uh, and his examination of our Lord Jesus uh, and, 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 and yet, it's a question that is, is really age-old, isn't it? And it's certainly a question that is wrestled with even today. What is truth? Well... It's only what God has revealed to us. Okay, we, we could say the truth is what God has revealed to us. So, and, and that, that, would that apply? I'll ask it in the form of a question. Would that uh, apply uh, to a native on an island somewhere that's never heard the name of Jesus? Could that, that apply to, to, to that person as well? And Well, if truth is truth, then it would apply to, to everyone. Simply put, truth is... And I'm not trying to play with you in terms of of semantics, but I really do mean this to start our discussion. Truth is, in other words, it is how things really are, actually are, not how someone purports they are, not how we may perceive that they are, All of those are are things that we deal with in the age in which we live, right? No, truth is. It's, it's, It's the reality of what something actually is, the truth. Now, that takes us then to the next question is, okay, well, if that is the case, if if truth is, then what is the standard of truth? What is the standard of truth? And 
The better question, as J.D. alluded to, is really, the better question is, who is truth? Or who is the standard of truth? Because Scripture is very clear that God is truth. God is truth. And so, truth is by virtue of who God is. And because God is truth in His very nature, then that means that God defines truth. If you think about this, so when I was growing up, a young man in the church, I was warned in the age of evangelicalism, right? The 19, late 70s and 80s, I was warned there's a time coming Get ready. There's a time coming when there's going to be an explosion of argumentation of relativity. And truth, it is going to be argued, is relative to a person, their experience, who they are, where they are, so forth and so on. And while many of the things that I was told were going to happen in evangelicalism as a kid uh, didn't happen, this did. In fact, it has exploded and seeped into the church so aggressively that today, if someone asks you, is truth relative, I think the average American evangelical Christian will say, yes. I really do. Now, maybe that's just overly anecdotal on my part, but outside of the church, most certainly someone will say this. That truth is relative to, well, it's relative to the country in which you live. It's relative uh, to how you grew up. It's relative to how you perceive something and so forth and so on. And again, if, if, if you're wondering where I'm going with this, I'll take it even all the way to the point of the identity politics or identity crisis that we're experiencing around the world right now. If someone says, well, I woke up this morning and... Biologically, my DNA, I'm a man, but today I feel like a woman. And because I feel like a woman, I mean this theoretically, you understand. Because I feel like a woman today, I am a woman trapped inside a man's body. And which just is, is if, let's just call it like it is. That is absurd. Video. That is absurd. No one would have thought this. In fact, Carl Truman, uh, in his book on the modern self, does a wonderful job of going back, as a historian should, going back into history and showing us how we even got to the ability in the era in which we live to even ask that question. And, and I think that, that Truman uh, argues convincingly that this is something that's been coming for centuries and we just weren't prepared for it. And even now, we seem to be scrambling to try to figure out, well, how do you respond? Because, you know, he, he really does feel like a little girl inside that. And bless his heart, he's just she's just trapped inside all that toxic masculinity and all of this sort of thing. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time for more coffee, right? If God is truth, therefore God defines truth, then how I feel or how I perceive myself 
doesn't even enter into the equation. In other words, what you would say back to me in my theoretical example, John, I know you feel like a girl, but here's the truth. You're not. The God who made heaven and earth made you exactly like you are. Ergo, your DNA won't lie even if, etc., etc., etc. Now, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this down to this issue, which I know is a hot-button issue today, um, which incidentally, to chase this rabbit, um, we are seeing some sanity, not in this country, uh, but if you look at some of the reports actually coming out of Europe, and especially some of the medical associations across the pond, the doctors are already starting to realize, wow, we opened Pandora's box and uh, the medical field may disappear completely if we don't get back to sanity. Now, because we tend to trail, we may be decades away from that sanity yet, but nevertheless, as a church, we never should have lost our minds to begin with. We never should have strayed from what the truth is because we never believed the truth was relative. We always knew that the truth is God. And because it's God, then He is the truth. And if you think about this in terms of a scriptural revelation, if, you're, if you've got, I don't remember if I put this on your handout, but theologically speaking, truth is revealed, for example, through the Godhead. God the Father, the psalmist says in Psalm 31.5, is the God of truth. Did I put that on that handout? Yes. It's on there? Okay, that's right. Yes, so, so God the Father is, is the God of truth, the psalmist says. Or, for example, God the Son says, I am the truth, John 14, 6. And therefore, as John says in the very first chapter, that poetic section of the first half of the chap first chapter of John, the Apostle John describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. Or the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so our God, three in one, is truth. He defines truth. And so, to go back to what, what was said right at the very beginning is, by virtue of that, then the truth is revealed from God. That's our center point. Our truth is revealed from God. Now, how do we see that? Well, first of all, uh, we see it through God's Word. We see it through God's Word. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 that Scripture is the Word of truth. So when we go to the Word of God, we, we know it to be reliable. I have said to you before, both in this class as well as across the street in, in, in my preaching, that if you get off on this point, be prepared that everything else in the Christian life will be off point. And you will stray off into myth and error and all sorts of other dangerous places. You have to get this right. Scripture is the truth of God. Everything within Christianity builds off of that bedrock, that foundation of God's truth. And because the Scripture is truth, then truth can be known. John Calvin said, Nothing is deemed more precious to God than the truth. Think about that quote. John Calvin said, which doesn't make it right, by the way, but I think he's right. John Calvin said, Nothing is deemed more precious to God 
than truth. Hmm. You think about that. I'm reading currently uh, Dante's Divine Comedy. And uh, I'm still a Presbyterian, not a Roman Catholic, but I'm I'm reading through uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, and I'm in the section of the Inferno. So if any of you in school uh, read Dante's Divine Comedy, you you know the breakdown of Inferno, uh, Purgatory, Paradise, and and the different structures of the work. And in the Inferno, you may recall that Dante uh, and the Roman poet Virgil are, are descending their way in the different levels of hell. And as they descend their way, which incidentally, just because Dante wrote it, and just because the Divine Comedy may be the greatest work in literature, doesn't make it right, but it does make it thought-provoking that as he and Virgil make their way down into the inferno, they get down below all of the seven deadly sins. They get beyond lust and greed and adultery and all of this stuff, and they get down here, and then... I think that Dante is surprised to find that way on down there, they find fraud. And as you come across that in Dante's Inferno, you think, surely that's a personal bias. Surely that's off. Surely these other wicked sins that are not going to be punished nearly as severely as this one, surely Dante is wrong until you hear his argumentation. And as he describes it, you realize that, I think Calvin is right, truth is precious to God. And that which is false, that which is fraudulent, that which knows the truth, and in this case, that's the case in in Dante's Inferno, they know the truth and they intentionally defraud someone, well, that is getting very, very close to the bottom of the pit where Satan is. Fraud is almost, a cousin, is almost close to pure wickedness in Dante's argument. And, and again, I'm not here to, to preach Dante. I'm here to say that, A, there's much we can learn from our medieval ancestors, but B, I think there is a good argument that this is true, that, that in fact falsehood is indeed egregious. And so if that is the case then, what then is lying? Because that's what we're going to study. We're going to study lying and the truth. What then is lying? How would you define lying? Give us just a really simple definition. Okay, how about this one? Who said that? Oh, what'd you say? Okay, lying is misrepresenting the truth. We would say, we would, if, 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 if I was your child and I didn't tell the truth, you would say, John, tell the truth. The implication is I know the truth, but I have intentionally misrepresented. I've chosen not to tell the truth. So lying is, is, is just simply not telling the truth. But also, we see this in, as breaking God's moral law. What is the tenth, or rather the ninth commandment. What is the ninth commandment? Bible trivia. You know this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, the context of the ninth commandment 
is the, the picture of a, of a courtroom, the idea of someone on a stand, and they are testifying, and they are, are testifying in, in what way? They're bearing false witness. Uh, but, but we understand this as covering all of the forms of not telling the truth, of misrepresenting the truth, of lying. So, if that is the case then, what do the Proverbs have to say on this topic? Well, I've told you before, a lot of time in, in the Proverbs that the sage will deal with the negative perspective of something more than the positive perspective of something. But actually, in this case, the sage has much to say about the truth. And so I want to start there with the question, how are we to think about the truth? How are we to think about the truth? And if we have enough time, Lord willing, I'm going to introduce six answers to that. How are we to think about the truth? And the first is, and we've already touched on this, is the truth is from God. I've said in this class before that all truth is God's truth. And that's an important distinction to make because it means that, as I've said before, uh, if I, if I uh, just use this example, if, if I have a, a heart attack and I need to have surgery on my heart and I get to the hospital and uh, I get there, I'm not going to say, uh, hey, um, who, who's, who's the Christian here? I need a, I need a Christian doctor because, you know, Christian doctors only only tell the truth. You know, I really need a Christian doctor who can operate on me. I'm not going to say that, am I? What am I going to say? I want the best surgeon in the whole world. I want the best heart doctor. Well, John, you know, he's an atheist. Bring it on. I want the best, right? I want the best heart doctor. Well, we've got one that's okay. He goes to your church. We don't have a heart doctor here, so I can use that joke. <laughs> uh, so in the future, if a, if a heart doctor joins the church and they're watching this video in the future, I'm not referring to you. Uh, you don't have a heart doctor. Uh, I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, i got to use the, the, the church member to, to do this. I'm going to say what? I want the best heart surgeon there is, right? Because according to God's common grace, even the unbeliever... Even the unbeliever can know the truth, can tell the truth, can convey the truth, etc., etc. And we, in our own lives, especially those of us who have been in business, we have encountered people, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, we have encountered unbelievers who do a better job at telling the truth than believers. Can't believe he just said that. And every one of you inside just went, Amen. Because we've encountered that before. We know that to be the truth. And so all truth is God's truth. But we as believers, by virtue of knowing the truth, He who is the truth, by virtue of that, we should be known by what? The truth. Why is that? Because it is from God. And because we are God's children, therefore truth should characterize us. Look at Proverbs 8, 6, and 7. Here, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. 
For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Now, for those of you who are students of Scripture and of the Proverbs, you know that this is the chapter in which we see wisdom personified. So immediately, as a good literature student, you're going to say, well, now hold on, John, that's wisdom speaking. And yet, we know who is wisdom. Christ is wisdom, is the fulfillment, the embodiment of true wisdom. And so we know that this is God conveying this truth to us, albeit wisdom personified in the 8th chapter of Proverbs. And God says, listen to me. I am going to say noble things. I am going to say worthy things. They're going to come from my lips, and that which comes from my lips is right. My mouth is going to tell the truth. I'm going to convey the truth. And then the last part of it says, wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And, and again, think about the, 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 the graphic, the, the imagery here. So lips is the, the metaphor used to convey uh, or to the image uh, to, to, to convey conveying. Can I say that? I guess so, I did. To convey conveying, right? So the lips is the imagery of telling, speaking, conveying the truth here. But it says abomination. What is an abomination? So abomination is the noun form of the verb hate. So if, if, I, if, if, if the scripture says that God utterly hates something, uh, the noun form of that would be abomination, something that God hates, or in the case of, of something that's an abomination to man, something that man hates. And so wickedness is an abomination to my lips. In other words, God who is righteousness cannot know wickedness. And the sage here combines that then, the righteousness of God, with His truthfulness. God tells the truth because He is righteous. Right? So, so truth comes from God. Secondly, truth is confirming. We are to understand it as confirming. And let me explain to you what I mean as we look at this, as we read this proverb together. Whoever speaks the truth, this is Proverbs 12, 17. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. So whoever, whoever speaks the truth gives an honest evidence. This could be, whoever could be, anybody, right? I mean, anybody. Anybody that speaks the truth, and again, think of this in the courtroom setting, because that's how the sage has created this picture for us. The courtroom, and someone's on the witness stand, and if they're telling the truth, what are they doing? What they're providing is evidential. It's going to be used in the court, and it is honest. It's reliable. You can count on it. What about the false witness? Can you trust, and again, keep in mind in this parallelism of the Proverbs, uh, the uh, sage is using a black and white distinction to convey a truth to us that is not always so clear cut. But if I ask you, if you have someone in your life who is a consistent liar, can you trust anything that they say? 
and you can go, well, you know, we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm, you know, I'm one of those people. Show some grace. Baloney. If they lie to you consistently, you don't trust them. You could wake up every morning and say, I need to do a better job trusting that liar. <laughs> but you're not going to trust them, are you? Because you build up this protection, and the reason you do is because God has put His commandments upon your heart, your, heart, your conscience sparks, and when you hear a lie, you begin to put up defensive mechanisms. And, uh, and so you know that a false witness then is deceitful, and so what they say is deceitful. Number three, Truth, we can understand truth as timeless. As timeless. And again, this is important for us to remember because we as believers who believe in God's Word, who believe that God created the heavens and the earth, who believe that God is truth Himself, and we know that any truth in the world comes from Him, then we know that it's not relative to our day and age. Truth is timeless. Truth, truthful lips endure forever. But a lying tongue is but for a moment. Truthful lips endure forever, meaning what? Someone that speaks the truth, that's the truth thousands of years into the future, thousands of years back, right? Truth is truth. But what does the second clause of that proverb mean? A lying tongue is but for a moment. All right, so truth is going to be revealed. I mean, yeah, yeah. So a lying tongue is going to be revealed, and and, and how would that how would that come about? Follow the signs, huh? Follow the signs, yeah. So here's a here's a great example. I read a book this last year and talking about is you know d discerning a truth in an age of of error, and um, that wasn't the name of the book, but that was how I remember the book. Anyway. Um, and the gist was this. So do we or do we not live in an age of deception? We, we, we do. We do. Um, do we live in an age of what I call uh, deceptive rhetoric? I, I, I think we do. We live of deceptive language, deceptive uh, semantics, so forth and so on. Um, and and the, the, the example that the guy gave is um, there was, uh, and I'm going to get this wrong so I'm just going to tell you, get the details wrong, but I'm going to get the gist is going to be right, is that there was a, a certain uh, person who was fleeing police officers, and uh, that person uh, fell or tripped and, and fell into uh, a, a front of a train and the, or a tram or something like that, and, and the person died. And uh, the, the person that was fleeing the police was of a certain ethnicity, and I guess by virtue of that, it, it got national attention. So all over the United States, there was this big story is that, that this person had been fleeing the police. It was terrible. You know, the police were these mean, violent people, and they were attacking, following this person by virtue of his race, so forth and so on. And a long time goes by. I mean, that's the buzz. Everybody in the world's got it. And then later, it comes out, that the fundamental details 
of that news story, 80% of it was wrong. All that was right was the police were involved, the person who died was of a different ethnicity, and the person did die by virtue of the train. And yet, when the truth came out by virtue of the investigation, which happened so much into the future, it was never reported. Now, I mean, pick, pick your news stuff that people listen to. What, what wasn't reported by, by anybody of whatever variety they might, might, might like. And the point that this guy makes is, is that truth eventually comes out, but it rarely comes out in the timing of which we expect. And it rarely comes out in the way that we want to receive it. And it rarely comes out, insert whatever caveat you want to. And so this, this person's advice is, is really, for the modern Christian, one of the best things that we can learn to do is in an age of deception, in an age of deceptive rhetoric, we've got to learn how to be patient. As J.D. said, the, the, the signs, but those signs, what if they don't come for 10 years? I was reading another article uh, that had to do with uh, the, may, the, most, the biggest lawsuit that Toyota ever settled. And it had to do, you may recall, it had to do with a gas pedal and a braking system. And Toyota paid out the biggest amount they had ever paid out in history, as, I'm, as I read in this article. And then, years and 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 years later, it comes out that the fundamental points of that case were in error. And that there now was uh, evidence that the person had stepped on the gas instead of on the brake, and the brake was never faulty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you never hear that stuff reported. Why? Because in an age of deception, it's all about the story. It's all about the pizzazz. It's all about what gets you, what I say, jacked up. And if it doesn't get you jacked up, if it's old, if it's boring, well, the truth finally came out, oh, right? Then we don't hear about it. And so I thought this guy's advice was really good. The modern Christian needs to understand that truth is timeless, that lying lips, in fact, or rather a false witness, or I'm sorry, lying lips are in fact buff for a moment, but we may not find out that those lying lips were lying lips and tell we may, we may never find out. Uh, so we need to be guarded. We need to be careful because truth, in fact, will always come out. Some might say some, uh, it may not come out in, in some cases till Judgment Day, right? Number four, truth can be known as helping our neighbor. As helping our neighbor. I thought this was a fun one. Proverbs 14.25 A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Have you ever thought about that before? The second half of the clause, I've thought of that a hundred times, but have I ever thought of telling the truth as saving lives? How could that be? I mean, how are we to understand that? How could telling the truth save a life? How can telling the truth save a life? I mean, think about it in court of law. 
I mean, if, if, if someone was, was lying and it was a life or death matter, uh, then that would certainly be the case. Telling the truth would save a life. How else may... Do what? It depends. It could be save someone's life by telling the truth of God to someone to save their life. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that could, could, could be in terms of, of saving a, a life eternally by telling them the, the truth of the gospel. That's a, that's a good application. How else? Great point. That's a great point. That is an excellent point. And, and certainly we, we, we could say that the, the sage here is, is employing hyperbole. Uh, saving lives, uh, we, we could apply it metaphorically at a whole bunch of different levels, right? And, and to that point, I mean, think if the truth had been known how that would have had it. That's, a, that's an excellent point and very relevant uh, today. But one who breathes out lies is deceitful. Again, that's just a straightforward truism of the importance of uh, helping our neighbor by telling the truth. Number five, truth. Uh, we are to think about truth as to be learned. As to be learned. Proverbs 22, 20, and 21. Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, that you may give a true answer to those who sent you? Now, I'm borrowing this, obviously, out of its, its original context, but it still is applicable. So the, 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 the sage is saying, I have given you here these truisms. I've given you here the Word of God, or you could say God has given you your, His Word, but if God gives us His Word, and if His Word is true, but we don't know God's Word, how much does that benefit us? I mean, it doesn't benefit us at all. If someone comes to you and, and says, if God is truth, how may I know the truth? What are you going to say to him or her? You're going to tell them the gospel? And you're going to hand them a, a copy of God's Word, aren't you? Here's the truth that you may be in right relationship, that you may know God. Here is God's Word that you can know truth as He is revealed it. But here's, here's the point, is that again, in the age in which we live, there is a heavy emphasis put upon how you are born. If you are born this way, then that's the way you are. If you're born that way, well, that's the way you are. And, and you may say, well, John, you will never be LeBron James. <laughs> Well, you're right. I won't. He was born with the ability to, to play basketball and all of these incredible athletic benefits, but there is a limit in terms of the relevancy of what, how we are born. And one of those areas is that many times people think that truth comes from within. And there is a sense that God has given us the beautiful conscience that He has given us. And we listen to our conscience that we know, may know right from wrong. And that applies to everyone on the face of the earth. But there is also a deeper truth. This is what Francis Schaeffer called true truth. And to know the deep truths of God, we have to learn them. We are not born that way. 
It is something that we acquire. What did the sage say in that first proverb I read? Actually, I'm getting ready to read it. Uh, so that leads us into the sixth point. Uh, is we are to think about truth as to be acquired. As to be acquired. And this is now the full proverb. I only read part of it. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And, and again, as we talked about at the, at the beginning, buy is a metaphor for what? Acquiring, learning, taking in. Uh, we, it is of, as, as we said at the beginning, truth is, is valuable, it is accessible, and it is something that we should desire, and it's something that we could strive to, uh, to acquire. So also wisdom, so also instruction, so also understanding. Incidentally, not to chase the rabbit because we're out of time, but you may recall all the way at the very beginning of this study, we talked about the definition of wisdom and distinctions. Here we see that the, the, the sage is pulling together these words that he uses as synonyms throughout the Proverbs of wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And he groups them together as synonyms to essentially tell us that there is value to what God has given there is great value to what God has given. And so we are to be zealous to acquire it, to take it in. So that's how we are to think about truth. And then next week, what we're going to look at is the question of how should we think about God's revealed word of truth? How are we to think about uh, God's word as it is truth? And we'll, we'll dive into that next week. Let me pray for us. Our God in heaven, we confess that you are truth. As you have revealed yourself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you are truth. And as our God of truth, we look to you dependently to know the truth. We thank you for the law that you have put upon our hearts. We thank you for the true redemption we have in Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself in your holy word. And so, it is to your holy word that we have looked today. But we also, also plead that you would, through your Holy Spirit who indwells us, that you would apply your truth, the truth of your word, to our hearts May we internalize, may we buy the truth, drink the truth, eat the truth, and so take in the truth that we may know it. May we not be naive, may we not be gullible, but may we be wise as you have given it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.